Hi, and welcome to the Dip Chew Podcast. I am Dip. And I'm Chew. We have been friends for over a decade. And also served in the ministry together and apart for almost the entire duration of our friendship. We'd like to invite you on this journey of listening and learning as we host these conversations on what it means to follow Jesus. On this podcast, we'll talk to our peers and experts alike, listening and learning from them about walking out our faith as Christians. We'll explore the hard questions together while creating spaces for you, our listeners, to process these conversations. We're excited for this journey and we hope that you are too. Dong, 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 chang. Dong, 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 chang. It's Chinese New Year. Marcus, it's so good to see you tonight. How are you doing? Doing well. I think people should know that we have been pre-recording these sessions. So you're listening at a later time. Surprise. But it's Chinese <laughs> New Year now. It is Chinese New Year. Yeah, I'm doing well. We had a reunion dinner with my dad and a few friends. A couple of friends. Nice. Yeah, so we did Steamboat. Are you guys following the 15 people rule? <laughs> Oh, we only had like five of us. And we did oh, it okay. like the night before the reunion because my dad <laughs> had gotten this forwarded WhatsApp text that said the police are going from house to house. So we we're like, well, jokes on them because we're doing it the day before reunion. So we did it the reunion eve of the reunion. I heard about that. It, it seems like they just did that in Penang because we had nothing like that in Selangor. I don't know. I Did they even do it in Penang? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what's going on. How is this year's Chinese New different? Well, I mean, besides not being able to travel... Um, interstate or interdistrict. I'm just thankful that you know we were at least able to have our reunion dinners at home. Yeah, but even with that case, I mean, a lot of people are still afraid, so to move around, and rightfully so. The cases are so so high back here. What was something that you really treasured about this time with family? Mm, I think I'm just so grateful and thankful to be at home with family. I think. I cannot even imagine what it, what it would be like to be alone in this season. Yeah. And not just in this season, for really the whole past year. Yeah. Um, so, it's, you know, at the same time, it's not completely easy, you know, living and working with family. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we are forced to communicate. We are forced to work together. We are forced to listen. And uh, I do appreciate that. I did spend four years away, but having Lauren here and she was playing Chinese New Year music that was really funny she was <laughs> that's awesome the other night I asked her to sing me a, a sing to make up and sing me a Chinese New Year song yeah and she did you know and it was actually quite funny because she got all the ha 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 and the tong tong chiang and everything <laughs> in you know and it was it was quite entertaining yeah. I hope you got a recording of that no, it was private. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a recording of her dancing to a Chinese New Year song. It was on my Insta stories. But That's awesome. We go to Tesco and then they'll play all the Chinese yeah. New Year songs. And so she was trying to describe this one song to me. And I'm like, they all have this. They all have gongsi gongsi. They all have ha ha ha. Crap, crap, crap. They all have every Chinese, every Chinese New Year song has the same annoying trumpet sound. So it's yeah. kind of like, I, you know, just pick one. It doesn't matter. It's the same song. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh man, I miss you guys so much. I wish I could travel up and see you guys. A 
Okay, Jafeth, so tonight we're going to have a guest join us whom I actually met on Instagram. That's awesome. His name is Timothy Whitaker and he runs an Instagram page called The New Evangelicals. And I'm really excited to talk to him because a lot of posts that he has shared kind of contain or, or relate to what we have talked about. Yeah. And I really resonate with some of his points of view. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to speak with Tim. And he's here now. Hi, Tim. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for joining us today, Tim. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. And hello to all the listeners out there. So I, I have to give you a fair bit of warning real quick. Japheth and I both studied in the US, but we go back to our Malaysian accent sometimes. So if it sounds like English... But you're not sure what it is. It probably is English. I love it. Be you. I'm all for it. What time is it um, in your neck of the woods? Uh, in Malaysia right now, it's 9. So about 9.30. Yeah. yeah. At, at night, right? PM? At night. Yeah. At night. Wow. Yeah. Wild. It's, yeah. So we're we're ahead of you. We know what happens with your day today. It's going to be pretty just chill. <laughs> all right. So with us today, we have Tim. And Tim runs an Instagram page called The New Evangelicals. And he is passionate about moving the Christian faith forward. What do you mean by moving the Christian faith forward? Uh, essentially, what I mean is that, uh, long story short, in the Christian tradition, the faith has always progressed because life is progression. I mean, that's just what your life is, right? You start out as an infant and you grow and you grow and you grow. And so we're kind of in a state, I think, in in our culture, and I, I live in America, so especially in the States, um, where it seems like Christianity is kind of stagnant. It's kind of it's kind of caught this um, mega church model, corporate consumeristic mindset. And everyone's like, this is it. This is how you do it. This is the only way. But you need people to kind of push the, the faith forward and say, okay, we have to reimagine what we're doing because it's not really working. We're creating a lot of spectators, but not a lot of converts. We're creating a lot of people who say that they're Christian, but have no fruit. So we have to rethink what we're doing. So that's kind of what I mean is we have to just reimagine the church expression um, we have to rediscover the ancient Christian tradition that we're a part of because it's been cut off from us over the past hundred years or so. Mm. And we have to reclaim that and then move ourselves forward to be better than how we were yesterday. Mm. That's so good. So in in part, moving forward looks like going back. Exactly. You know, for 100, 200 years, this machine of evangelicalism for better or for worse, has become the typical or the main expression, right, of faith, not just in the U.S. anymore. I mean, even Japheth and I, we are recipients of that. Huh. I'm not American. I didn't grow up in the U.S. I spent some time there, but um, I grew up Pentecostal, charismatic Christian, and for a long time had this view of, you know, the whole thing, the gay agenda, um, um, the Zionist, you know, kind of kind of movement within the church. I mean, Javith and I both blow shofars. So <laughs> we, are we used oh, to? Oh, I need that video. Yeah, you used to, I still do. <laughs> yeah, but in the sense, like that's that's part of our faith um, upbringing yeah. too. So it's it's been far reaching, right? So for better or for worse, it's become the the main vehicle. And and so what you're saying is, we got to go back to what's before. To move forward yeah yeah i mean that's part of what i'm saying for sure um you're absolutely right um the american evangelical machine has exported its faith all over the world and i'm not going to say all of it's bad but i think a lot of it isn't healthy because we kind of went into other countries with the savior mindset like oh what we're doing is the right way and 
they essentially what has happened is that we've taken American culture and in our American evangelical culture, we've seen that as as true Christianity, and then we've exported the that to other parts of the world, and we've we've bulldozed their own cultural context, right? So I know, like in other parts of the world, I'm not sure how it is in, in Malaysia, but like I know in in especially in the Eastern mindsets, it's a much more collective setup, right? The way that the families view, the way that that that's seen is a very different than a hyper individualistic world that I, I've come from in America. But people who are here who go to those places have no context for that. And when they see it, they think, no, 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 that's that's not right. You have to be, you know, it's a personal relationship. There's no corporate relationship. And that kind of stuff really it minimizes the full gospel. So I think that that's a big part of it. It really comes down to having to rediscover that the Christian faith is deeper and wider and more diverse than what many of us who have been westernized uh, by the church and have been Christianized in an American way um, ha- have been taught. We, you know, I, I, listen, I grew up in the church my whole life, 32 years. I grew up fundamentalist Baptist, so super conservative, that I was part of more charismatic circles. And I never knew some of the stuff that I know now by reading books and listening to scholars and theologians about, 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 about parts of the faith that are deeper and wider. I never knew that the Bible was very collectivist in nature. I've only been taught to read it as an individualist, for example. So those kinds of things help fill out the Christian tradition. Um, and I think that it's necessary because, frankly, right now, Christianity in America, I mean, it's dwindling. People my age, I'm a millennial, I'm 32, you know, they're leaving um, the institution, but they're still fascinated with Jesus and with, and with spirituality. Mm. And that's not a new age statement. You know, a lot of my friends who have real problems with the church, are really committed to Jesus. I mean, deeply. And they're listening to theologians. They're in the deep end over here. But the institution that we've created and these boundaries that we've set up, I think are doing a lot more harm than good at this point. So I'm interested to know where in your faith journey did you come to that place where you had a critical moment or a critical decision kind of thing um, that led you to the journey that you're on now? Um, How long ago... What were you reading or what were you exposed to? Yeah, um, there were two moments in my life. But the first one that really, I would say, pushed the first domino, so to speak, was I spent three months overseas. I was in uh, Germany. I was in Finland. I was in Belgium for a month in each country. Um, I was 18. Uh, I was traveling with some friends doing missions work. And I was still pretty conservative, fundamentalist in my faith. That's how I grew up. So one of the churches we were going to work at um, was a church that met in bars around the city of Brussels in Belgium. I remember thinking and telling my best friend, I said, I don't know how I feel about this, like a church in a bar, there's alcohol there. It doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Like this is not what church is, that kind of perspective. And obviously I was there. I mean, I had to be a part of it, right? I'm not, I'm not going to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As we get to know the people and see this model of church um, fleshed out, which pretty much their model was they met in small groups every Sunday around the city. And then once a quarter, they would come together for an all church like celebration. So it wasn't like this Sunday morning event. It was much more small group based with a, like a once a quarter event. And when I saw that and, and met these people, I was like blown away. I said, whoa, I never thought about church like this before. And that was the domino that, that pushed me and my friends to start thinking like, well, what is church? What's the fundamental purpose of church? 
And a long story short, I was able to be in an environment in the States for over six years that fostered that question in a, in a safe way yeah. with, with like-minded people. So that was the domino that started me on this path. But I was still very conservative as far as like some of my, um, you know, my, my political views and stuff like that. I was still very much that person. And the second thing that really kind of, I, I would say the dam just kind of burst was when I was, uh, let's see, about five, four years ago now, 28, I, I hit a really intense season of panic attacks mm. and, uh, and fear. Mm. It was a life-changing thing. I've never experienced anything like it. I lost 30 pounds. I, I wasn't eating. Um, my body was in fight or flight mode for, for years and uh, just panicking about everything. It was like a light switch just turned on and whoa, you know, anxiety, depression, things I never had categories for in my life. All of a sudden I had to find categories because I'm thinking what is happening. And through a lot of years of therapy and thinking, um, I realized that not all, but a lot of that was tied to just really, for me, I'm going to say for me, not for everyone, but for me, dangerous beliefs that really I couldn't sit with. And I think my mind was just trying to tell me, you got to rethink like what you really believe. Mm. So that was the other big, big moment where I just had to I had to study and read and listen to people who I didn't know existed in church circles who were faithful Jesus people. And from there I discovered the Bible Project, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. they're my favorite period mm-hmm. and that podcast Tim Mackey when I started listening to how they understood and unpacked the Bible, amazing. So all those two things really set me on the path that I'm on now of just rediscovering the Christian faith, what's happening and how do we push it forward. Mm. Wow. So why did you start the new evangelicals Instagram? Um, I remember seeing it a couple of days ago and I was just kind of blown away because I was like, hey, I agree with this guy on like everything that he's saying. So yeah, so would you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a musician. I'm a drummer. I've been playing drums um, my, almost my, well, more than half my life. I'm almost 22 years now since I was 11. Nice. And uh, played in the church my whole life, played in rock bands my whole life. I got the chance to do some, some very cool things. And so my Instagram account for a lot of years was just drum videos that I would post. That's what this account used to be. Um, just of church stuff and, and that kind of thing. Like I said, I've been having this conversation for almost a decade now internally and with close friends. And I got to a point um, maybe about a, um, about a year ago where I started thinking like, I'm seeing more and more people kind of thinking this way, and we're all really concerned of the direction of the evangelical church. And honestly, I still wrestle, but at the time I was really wrestling with like, do I belong in the evangelical movement? Like, do I need to find a a different faith tradition in the Christian movement? Because I'm watching this Trump thing happen. I'm watching evangelical leaders, really what I would say, bowing the knee to Trump and just completely forsaking their Christian ethic for the sake of power. And I'm looking and I, you almost kind of feel crazy where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, am I the only one seeing this? Everyone <laughs> that's how you kind of <laughs> yeah. feel. Right. Yeah. So had this moment, it was, we can call it whatever we want. We can call it inspiration, call it God, call it a light bulb moment. I just had the thought of like, we need a new evangelical movement. I was like mm. the new evangelicals. Like, wow, that's a, I kind of <laughs> like that name. And so I looked it up and no one had it. It didn't exist anywhere. I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure there was some new evangelical something. And it, there was no Instagram, no Facebook, no podcast, nothing. So I kind of sat on that for a little bit. And then in October, I was watching um, a video by Sean Foyt, who is um, a charismatic worship leader who's known, in, at least yeah, in America, yeah. I'm sure overseas too, for protesting COVID lockdowns with music by having mass 
worship gather. Well, I call them music gatherings, but they're worship gatherings with no masks on. And that really grind by, you know, it burned me up watching that happen. <laughs> and uh, I remember listening to him and I was so fuming. I was just like in a state of just anger. And then I had another light bulb moment where I had these like these thoughts just come to me and I just typed them out. And it was these core statements. And I had them on my page. They're on um they're on a what we, we believe highlight and also in my posts. And it was just things on like what we believe on the church, on sexuality, mm. on the environment. And it, I typed up all that stuff in about 45 minutes, mm. like the rough draft. And I just went. And I sent it out to a few people. They helped me refine it. And eventually, someone who I know on Instagram, I, sh- I shared with him this document. And they go, dude, you you need to start this account like immediately. Like, you just need to make it happen. And honestly, I was pretty terrified because it's putting myself out there, right? Like, I'm a type yeah. 6 Enneagram. Fear is a core motivator for me. And I'm just <laughs> thinking, like, what if I fail? What if this, what if this doesn't work? But uh, long story yeah. short, I just pulled the trigger. I went for it. And, um, you know, I'm, I honestly am pretty surprised by the yeah. response. Um, well, I, I am and I'm not. Like, I'm not surprised mm. that there are people thinking this way. I'm surprised how engaged everyone is. Mm. And I'm also surprised at like, the pretty diverse thought I seem to have on the account. Like, I have very fundamentalist people on this account. Mm. I have very progressive people on the account. I have some people who aren't even Christian on the account. And they all share. And so I'm thrilled to have that. You know, that's, that's the mm. point is we're trying to create more seats at the table. So mm. um, for, for people yeah. to have their views heard. It's so good. Yeah. What are some of the issues that um, you are trying to address in, in, in the new evangelicals? I think some of the big high-level overview picture, right, issues, um, definitely the church. I mean, that, that's like number, you know, that's that's a big one for me. Mm. Readdressing what the church looks like. Uh, sexuality is a big one. How we treat the LGBTQ um community is a huge one for me. How we treat sex outside of marriage is a big one for me. Purity culture, big one. Um, um, social issues, big one for me, you know, the black lives matter movement, how the churches, um, really try to suppress a lot of that. They've gotten better, but it's still an issue. Uh, the Bible, how do we view the Bible? Why do we see it as the fourth part of the Trinity in, in our circles and treat it like it's like, if, if we question or have a different interpretation of a very complicated book, we're a heretic. Um, that's a big one for me. And then I would say the other one too, that is important that I haven't really talked about yet in the account, but we're going to get there is the environment, how we treat the planet's a big one. That Mm. one goes really under church circles, especially in America. I mean, when I was in Europe 10 years ago, there, everything was recycled, everything. And in America, I have one bin for recycling. I can only put like half the stuff in there, you know? So we're not very environmentally conscious, especially in the church. So those, those are some of the big issues that we're trying to address. All the stuff that you just talked about, I think for Japheth and I, because we, um, we, we, we are, or we were, I don't know, where are you, Japheth? <laughs> we're still charismatic. And we would yeah. say that the expression um, of the gifts and all of that, we, we are still followers and supporters um, mm. of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to what people are doing uh, mm-hmm. and then tagging mm-hmm. on the name of God, Right, that's where we've been. Like, we won't stand for this. Mm. Yeah, and also I yeah. think a lot of Malaysian um, millennials who are currently going through deconstruction, this might be a refreshing voice because, I mean, most of us follow Sean Foyt or most of us follow the Johnsons or you know some of these other charismatic leaders, and and it doesn't really reflect us. Mm. The the yes. the Asianness within us 
is not recognized, right? To be Christian almost means to be white. Mm. And for me, um, my point was when I was listening to some of these prophecies and hearing what some of these guys that I had followed my entire life, right? And to to see that there is no mm. place at their table mm-hmm. for people with my skin color, with my perspective. Like if I want to see that that table, I need to filter everything through their eschatology, their idea of America's role in the world, their idea of Amer- of Israel's role in the world, mm-hmm. and and to interpret uh, to interpret it otherwise, right? Like you said, you're you're heretical. You're not part of the fold anymore. That's right. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying, it's an issue that I'm still having i mean this will be a lifelong thing for me being a white cisgendered male in america right like what how i've been wired is deep it's deep it's it's very deep so it'll be a a lifelong journey for me to have to unlearn everything that you just said Mm -hmm. right of like having eyes to realize that people's heritage and ethnicity is not well respected Mm -hmm. oftentimes in evangelical circles and then Mm -hmm. that export is then brought to people's actual home countries and then whitewashed, right? And it's like, whoa, like, wait, so to be Christian means to lose, like, my Asian heritage, you know? Like, to be Christian means to lose my background. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, well, no, no, no. But then they're, in their actions, they would tell you yes, right? They would never say that mm-hmm. verbally, but their actions just speak a lot mm-hmm. louder than their words. When we were talking about the new evangelicals um, with some of my friends, I was trying to think of like a tagline. And one of the ones that we thought about was, um, was more seats at the table because I see that like, if in my head, I have this huge round table and it's just like all white people, <laughs> right. Or people who are like, who, who, who are impacted by, by white culture, I'll say. Right. And then when, if someone comes in, in, I would say conservative theology, and if someone comes who isn't in that mold, who brings a different perspective with their theological outlook or their sexuality or their race and, the, and that heritage, they're very quickly either asked to assimilate or to get out. Like there's no there's not much of, oh, like I never considered that before. Tell me more. Maybe mm-hmm. we can dialogue on this. Let's share best practices. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, it's like, well, we disagree. And the Bible is very clear that you're wrong and that we're right. And yeah. that's what I'm really trying to break is this perspective of why can't we listen to other faithful Jesus people who have a totally different worldview because mm. their world is so different than ours? Why can't we learn from that? And then why can't we also share? Like, why can't it be a give and take relationship? Right. I'm sh- I'm sure that as a, a white man in America, I have some good thoughts that could be helpful to someone, right? But I'm also sure that you guys in Malaysia have some beautiful things that I've never even thought about that could really impact my world, right? So that's that's the conversation, that, that that's the posture that we need to have. It's not about agreeing on everything. I mean, you and I will never agree on everything. Me and my friends don't agree on everything. Me and the church I go to don't agree on everything. That is not the point. The point is that can we live in tension together and can we respect that God is working through all of it somehow, ways that even I can't fathom. So can I trust that God is working in ways that I can't fathom? And can we do our best to have a posture of humility that wants to learn as much as it wants to help? That's That's the question. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, so you said that you you can't condemn Sean Foyt because, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that God is using him, right? Well, I see Sean as a brother, meaning like someone that is in the family, even though we have vast disagreements. Also, I'm not going to discount 
that out of the tens of thousands of people that he claims to have met Jesus, that a few of them haven't made lifelong, real, fruit-bearing commitments. I mean, I, 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 I'm not the judge of that. I think what he's doing is reckless, it's dangerous, and it's done way more harm than good, for sure. It needs to change. But I'm not going to call him a heretic because we're, yeah. especially in Christian culture, heretic is thrown around like a beach ball. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, too, it's used way too loosely. Yeah. Um, again, strong disagreements with Sean on Ooh, almost yeah. everything. Ooh. But... Mm-hmm. But I do think that at the end of the day, he's still in that big realm of Christian. I'm not God. I'm not going to claim to speak for him in that capacity. Yeah, which <laughs> which strikes me as ironic because um, <laughs> some people would say, "No, I am speaking on authority of Jesus." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm kind of sensitive to that, right? Maybe that's why yeah. I'm not taking a a, a a firm stand because I've seen mm-hmm. so many people misuse God's name like that, right? Say, "No, yeah. God told me this person's definitely not in." I don't yeah. want to be that guy. That isn't my mission in life. Mm-hmm. Maybe God's giving yeah. other people that mission. My mission is just to add more seats at the table and say, "Can we learn? Can we all mm-hmm. humble ourselves?" And if you can't, mm-hmm. this place really isn't for you. I mean, there's definitely boundaries here right but if we can't listen to each other then what's the point what is the point Yeah. yeah so in in that vein of listening to one another and and different perspectives um you know i see it as part of deconstruction right like like you were saying all this stuff that is hardwired into you um, it's going to take time to unlearn and relearn new things, new habits, new uh, thought patterns. Um, just, the, I mean, it's, it's a big question, but deconstruction, like how can millennials walk through deconstruction? And at least in your experience, how did you walk through deconstruction? Were there resources, people? Like what was that process like? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I, it should be said that con- deconstruction, everyone seems to have their own working definition of it. It seems like it's a pretty wide um, definition, mm-hmm. depending on who you ask, <laughs> we get different answers. So I'm not going to claim to have the definitive authority on this on this definition. Um, but deconstruction, at least for me, looked like unlearning a lot of theology that I, that now I know really wasn't good, and then having mm-hmm. to replace it with something. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's why I call it reconstruction too. Some people argue that deconstruction by default is reconstruction because you're you're unlearning and learning at the same time. Whatever, Mm -hmm. semantics. The point is that it's scary. It's scary, and the reason why it's scary is because, especially if you grew up this way, if you grew up with a certain belief, right, and that's deep in your brain, it's part of your identity now. When you start picking at that, you're you're picking at, at your identity, and so the the skyscraper of your inner self starts wobbling like this. And that's a very unsettling feeling to have your, what your security is now be in question where you're thinking like, is any of this real? Did Jesus even do what he said? Is there even a God? I mean, those are big questions, right? To really face honestly. So deconstruction by definition and by default is going to be for a lot of people, a very anxiety inducing experience. There's just no way around it. You have to go through it. If you're in it, you just have to keep going. What you cannot do is you can't stop. And the other thing about deconstruction, and this is what this is what makes it scary, you don't know where you're going to land on the other side, right? Like you might not. 
identify as Christian on the other, on the other side of this. That's a scary thought for me. I mean, this is my world, right? I play music here. My friends are here. My church is here. My my morality comes from here. To think on the other end, I'm going to have this moment where now I'm no longer that thing that I've been for 32 years of my life. That's anxiety inducing. And I think the other thing is, you know, it's um it's a life-changing thing because it's an ongoing process. Deconstruction and reconstruction really is just growth. I mean, that, that's what this is. Again, when you're a kid, maybe your parents told you that Santa Claus was real. It would be very disturbing if at 32, I still believe that Santa Claus was real. People would yeah. say, Tim, I think that like, you're not thinking correctly. So why would I hold on to child-sized you know, bites of Christian faith and hold on to them as real and absolute? Why would I do that when, when it's much deeper than that, when, when the Bible's more complicated than that, right? So it's the same kind of idea of like, this is a lifelong journey for anyone of, of unlearning and relearning, unlearning and relearning. And once you kind of, once your body and your brain gets used to that, and it's, it's like a, it's like a rubber band, it starts to stretch it out a little bit. Once that muscle starts getting worked, it's way less anxiety inducing because you realize that like, this is just how life is. You are going to not believe some things and you're going to believe some new things. That's just how life progresses you in general. So that's that part. And to answer your question about, you know, resources and stuff for me, and again, this is just personal stuff. I've already said the Bible project has been one of the biggest sources for me of just understanding how deep and complicated and nuanced and how foreign the Bible is. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's Jewish, right? It's not white. I mean, it's, right. it's Aramaic, the, in Greek, in a, in a, in a, in a Greco Roman culture. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Mm. Written over a thousand years by multiple authors, right? Like, mm. and I've been taught that 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 you read Genesis with the same inner voice that you read Romans. That's not even mm. close to accurate. Like Paul and Moses, who most likely wrote Genesis, are are very different people in very different contexts and in different times of the world, right? It makes no sense. So I say that because yes, exactly right. The Bible is complicated. It's deep, and it's really a story. It's a narrative first, right? So that that was a huge thing, and then uh, listening to other like voices that I that weren't white was also really helpful. You know, Jamar Tisby, the uh, book "The Color of Compromise" that he wrote, opened my eyes to systemic racism in America that I just never had eyes for. Um, another th black theologian, um, Esau McCauley, wrote the book "Reading While Black." Great book, right? Esau just got interviewed by the Bible Project. One of the things that he says that is it's such a good way of describing it is that. One of the things about having multi-ethnic perspectives is that, is that you're able to extract more truth from the Bible. In my circles, and I'm again, my circle is the white evangelical church. I've been kind of taught since the beginning that there is one truth. This is the truth. And any other perspective on this truth in the Bible is wrong and not right. And they're in error. But instead, what I'm discovering is that the Bible is deep, robust, and rich, and that different people and their backgrounds bring different perspectives that we need to learn from that to understand really what's going on and how that impacts the kingdom of God. So trying to expose myself to different perspectives different ideologies in Christian faith for me has been so helpful to realize that no matter where you land more for sake of you know our words liberal or, or conservative there's room for you in the Christian tradition you can still swim in these waters because you're not the first person to have these thoughts that's so so good yeah and I think just even talking about just if you, if you could backtrack a bit just even talking about deconstruction and reconstruction I mean that's the purpose why we kind of started this podcast in the first place is because We've noticed that even in our circles, even here in Malaysia, 
even though we've both lived um, and studied in America. Um, we have a lot of friends who are going through that period of deconstruction and reconstruction. And I think um, all of us, including Marcus and myself, I, I, you know, um, I think we've all gone through it at one stage or the other as well. So I think just even hearing from what you are saying, um, it's so good. Yeah. But where do you see the church heading? And I guess uh, in particular, the American church. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the, uh, the American church is, well, I, I like saying the evangelical church because mm. there's, you know, there, you saw the mainline church, the Protestant church, right? And then you have all those, those like mm -hmm. branches. So that's not really my world. I'm not really familiar with, mm. um, you know, Episcopalian yeah. or the Methodist church, Lutheran, but the evangelical church, um, here's the, here's, here's the problem guys. Honestly, the term evangelical is like a catch all phrase. It includes, in an insane amount um, of different Christian perspective in America that all have a, the same fundamental belief of like the Bible being, you know, the absolute inerrant word of God, et cetera. Um, but, you know, you have, you have people who are ultra fundamentalist Baptists, like the IFB, you know, independent fundamentalist Baptists, they would identify as evangelical most likely, or at least they, they, they would be lumped in. And then you have the charismatics, like the independent network of mm. charismatics, like the Bill Don, uh, the Bethels and Bill Johnsons, they would also be lumped in as evangelical mm. and they're very different yeah. and they're calling each other heretics. <laughs> so they don't even agree, you know, but um, that being said, so understanding that, I think the church is, it's one of two things, right? I think either we're going to see a mass reformation, maybe not in my lifetime, but maybe in the next like hundred years or so where, where we find the breaking point finally comes realizing that our, our systematic approach to, to really corporatizing the church has been really damaging to a lot of people. It's been damaging to volunteers. It's been damaging to lead pastors. It's been damaging to the victims of sexual abuse of lead pastors. Um, it's yeah, been yeah. damaging to people's wallets. It's been damaging to their theology. Right. Yeah. And we go, okay, we have to rethink all of this and yeah, let's yeah. just, let's just bring it back down. Almost like a Martin Luther moment, right? Here's my 99th thesis. It's just time for something new and let's go. That or we're going to head in a direction of, of um, you know, we double down and we just get bigger and bigger and we get more consumeristic and we get, you know, right now live stream is the thing because of COVID. That was disappointing for me. I was really hoping to see small little communities spring up everywhere in, in homes, you know, go back to a house church model, five or six people. And you just, you guys just meet consistently and break bread and share and worship together. But instead, the church really went towards, we need more money to make our live stream better. So that way people are more engaged. That was kind of concerning for me. I was really hoping, like I said, that we would have a small group revolution, small little church communities taking over. But instead, it seemed like live stream was the way. So I, I really don't know. You know, I, I just don't know. There's a lot of people like us who are here. And I call it almost like a silent majority, right? Where there's a, more than we think. Yeah. And I'm talking about friends I know you who know are silent majority. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the true silent majority. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I have friends who are, who are paid, paid staff in, in big churches, thousands of people or, or who are in part of large denominations who are thinking this way. Like, trust me, we're not the only ones. Um, so I hope that's a sign of things to come, but I just don't know yet. What are some of your hopes? Like, like, where would you like to see the 
evangelical church here too. Well, I would like to see us. Um, I would like to see the priority change. Right. Yeah. Right now, the reality is ninety percent of evangelical churches, no matter what they say verbally, the action shows that most of their effort is put into the Sunday morning events. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said this last night. I went Instagram live. Um, I said that many like worship pastors and associate pastors and even some lead pastors are really just venue managers. They're managing a music venue. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. once a week, they have, they, have to, they have to have this event happen. And their job is to make sure that it goes really smoothly. So they have to, their time is spent organizing people and making sure that live stream sounds good and making sure that the band's together. That takes up a lot of time, money, resources. And frankly, besides making us, besides giving us a sugar rush, a little, a little shot of dopamine, it's not super effective. It just isn't. Mm. So I would really like to see um, um, a recommitment to genuine community, to genuine um, togetherness that is bigger than just the once a week spectator sport where we come together. We, we talk to almost no one. We, we consume an event and then we leave and we call it church. <laughs> so I would love to see us stop using the word church like a like a, a verb, like, oh, we go, you know, or, or like, like some kind of action. Um, I, I, it's, you, you don't church or, or you don't go to church, right? That's not how that works. The church is, is a gathering. It's you are the church. So I would love to see a, a recommitment to that. And I would also love to see a recommitment to more seats at the table. Honestly, we have to include the LGBTQ community more than how we have been. And I know that's controversial for some, um, but what I'm hoping to get to in our church culture in my lifetime is to a point where we treat it almost like women in leadership, where it's like, well, people have different views on that, but they're still all family. And so I would hope that we get to that point where people can at least respect other people's perspectives and respect that there are genuine LGBTQ people who love the Lord, who have tried for years to pray the gay away and have not succeeded. <laughs> and they are, and they've told, I've had friends tell me, I love Jesus. I'm committed. I've, I've accepted this is this is just who I am, and I'm going for it. And I go, okay, I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to trust that the same Holy Spirit is working with you, and that He will guide you. And I want to support that. So I hope we get to that point in our church circles, you know, where it's way less, it's way less of like, of like this mountain issue that that we've really made it made it to be. So well, Tim, to kind of sum it up, um, we talked about deconstruction. We talked about moving forward in faith. We talked about you know, even um, the opportunities for for churches to come back to community, small community kind of gathering. Maybe a a final question for you would be, um, what would be your encouragement for millennials who are seeking a way forward? Um, You know, what advice or kind of what exhortation would you have um, for, for millennials who are in this deconstruction, possibly reconstructing, you know, really owning their faith again, and, and they they want to, to move that needle forward too. They want to build the church up. Like, What encouragement do you have for them? Uh, let's see. A couple of things I think that are important. Number one, keep going. That's, that's important. You know, like follow that little inner drive to keep pushing forward. That's important to do. Um, understand that understand that you're never going to figure it all out. You have to just be okay with that now. I mean, many people smarter than us <laughs> have, have, have tried, right? Um, I think the other big thing for me is um, just understanding 
that you're probably going to have opposition. I mean, you're probably going to be called things that, that, yeah. that, that don't characterize you well. It's easy. Prophets or people who push things forward are oftentimes never really liked in their own cultural context, right? But they're usually the work is seen after. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. is a great example of this. I think it was 80% of Americans disapproved of what he was doing. And now, like, he's overwhelmingly loved, right? I mean, Martin, MLK Day, every, every white pastor on the planet comes out with some cute quote from him, right? So that was not the same situation when he was murdered and assassinated, you know, a couple of decades ago. So, so don't let opposition scare you into thinking that somehow this is wrong because the reality is that people who are ahead of their time often aren't loved, but they're necessary to push things forward. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind. And I think the last thing is just to know that, that you're not alone. I mean, you're really not. There are yeah. millions of people who you don't know who are thinking about these things, who are rethinking what it means to be a Christian, who are really concerned at the current direction um, of our church and want to see it do better and are committed to it, which is very weird when you think about it. Like, why am I so fascinated with church and Christianity? I can't even tell you why this stuff lives in my head all the time, but it does. And so I just have to keep moving forward. That's so good. And we're yeah. so thankful to have one of them with us here tonight. <laughs> it's so good to have you with us here tonight. Very kind. Thank you. Well, Tim, we're so grateful for you and, and what you're doing. And, and um, we feel a kindredness with you. We know that this conversation definitely is really something that the Holy Spirit has been leading all of us on. And, yes. and it's definitely yes. drawing us closer in love with Jesus, the person yes. who for many times that we forget is the reason <laughs> that we're doing any of this to be yes. with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Right. That was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool. Yeah. It was cool. I think he kind of encapsulates um, the things that we've been talking about, the things that we've been thinking about over mm -hmm. the past few years. Yeah. It is it has been refreshing to be honest. And and I like it when he says you're not alone. Because mm -hmm. there are people like him. There are people like him in America. Right, because when we look at it, we're like, oh no. Yeah. The majority of what we Correct. see is a certain way, and we're like, no. Correct. I like how this guy kind of like puts words to a lot of things that we 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 kind of think about. We're saying, but if we just follow the same set of the Bill Johnsons and the Battles, um, then we, it, you know, it's just that, you know. And I, I yeah. think we covered this the last uh, we covered this last week that same old, same old doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, so I think just even having people who can put words into, you know, what we've been thinking, what what we've been saying, uh that's yeah. That's quite refreshing lah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I I think when we didn't talk about this, but maybe this would be for people who mm. are listening. I'm all for the deconstruction, but mm. like I want to be really clear on my position, which is we cannot call it a deconstruction if we're not doing the homework. Yeah, correct. Because it's just very easy to de to abandon something and say, oh, I'm deconstructing. And then we do mm. no process mm. of dismantling, no process mm. of re-examining or re-evaluating. And I think mm. that's very, 
that's the pitfall to be like, oh, mm. I'm deconstructing, right? You know, I've left right. the faith, I've yeah. walked away. And I guess this is not so much a judgment, but more a more um, caution or an encouragement to to people, you know, whoever's listening right now to to say that, hey, like we are we're in this in a way together. We're maybe not like right next to each other together, right? Um, but we are in this together in a sense that there is other people, there are other people who are going through this, but yeah. we have to honor the process and we actually have to be yes. serious about the process yeah. because, yeah. you know, of course, if we walk away from the church because of an offense um, and, and we don't really examine that and go through that, like it might mm. never be settled and it can remain in our lives forever. And I don't yeah. think that's Correct. like, that's neither beneficial for us mm. nor the church, you know? Yeah, and maybe exactly. maybe there have yeah. been people who have left who don't really care about, you know, the well-being of the church and that's mm. their position and that's their prerogative, yeah. prerogative but, yeah. but to do the homework. Yeah. And I think, you know, I really like what Tim said, you know, it's not just about deconstruction, but it's also about reconstruction, you know, and he kind of like used both words as the same. And I really appreciate that because I almost think that it's, you know what? It could. It it is probably even more important the period of reconstruction than the period of deconstruction, because whatever you unlearn from your life, you know, whether it's regards to your faith or your spirituality, you got to relearn. You know, mm-hmm. you got to replace <laughs> with new habits. You got to replace it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and and if you don't, then there lives a void which can be filled with all sorts of rubbish. You know, and that's yeah. not weird. Yeah. That's not helpful yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Well, so guys, if you're listening, we are really thankful for this conversation we got to have with Tim, and we hope that you have, um, if not gone deep, at least there are things in your peripherals or maybe even in your front view vision that you can approach differently or, or kind of rethink in this process of, of deconstruction and reconstruction. Thank you for listening in to the Deep Chew Podcast by Marcus Dip Silas and Jaffas Chew. If you would like to share your thoughts with us or even suggest a guest to be on an episode, please write to us at podcast at thedips.co. Our guest today was Timothy Whitaker. Search for the new evangelicals on Instagram to follow the movement. Original music for this podcast is composed by John Dip Silas. Deep Chew.